Hi, this is Ashley. And this is Kristen. And this is A Thousand Miles of True Crime. Hey. Hey, how have you been? You know what? I have been fabulous. I am glad that tomorrow is Friday and yeah. I'm excited for the weekend. How was, how was your week been? How's things been? It's been good. We were in Michigan last weekend. I was outside the entire time, which I love. I, okay. So, you know, Labor Day's unofficial end of summer. I've already have seasonal depression. It's not even cold yet, but the leaves are changing. And I know everyone in my life loves fall and I'm like so happy for them. And I love like Halloween and stuff, but I, I'm a summer girl and I'm so sad. Hey, come on down to Texas. You can visit. We still have some some months left of warm weather for sure. <laughs> I got to do it. Yes, absolutely. I actually spent the the weekend and a few days in, through the week binge listening to a new podcast that I was just completely blown away by. The content is absolutely horrifying. It is just, and I'm just throwing that out there, but I listened to Hunting Warhead. And I strongly recommend everyone go listen to it. It's done so well. I don't want to spoil what it's about, but it's about pedophiles. And oh. it is, I mean, that it is, is a trigger warning, but I definitely a trigger warning. Insert trigger warning here. Just another reminder that people are monsters. So is yeah. it is it like one case, the whole series kind of thing? Yeah, it is. I've done one of those in a while. Okay. I'll just throw out, it involves the dark web. It in involves multiple parties. It's it's horrifying. But how they were able to find the culprits and cave in on them was just like, wow. Wow. So done done very well. And I can't remember who recommended it, but I was so happy. And I was like, I'm telling everyone that I know, because I have a question for you though. Who are we talking about today? Who are you covering? I wanted to, I thought I was going to do something like a little lighter, but I'm doing Jodi Arias and I think she's horrible now. Cause I always remember like first singing in the in the interrogation room, you know what I'm talking about? And like all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I thought this was going to be lighter than it is, but I really think she's a horrible person. I can't wait. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay. So she was born in, in California and she was raised a Christian and she is the oldest of four. So she was the, there was two girls, two boys. She's the oldest and had like a pretty normal family overall. From all accounts, but she talks about that somewhere around age seven or eight, her parents start really abusing her. She claims that her mom would beat her with a wooden spoon and then would bring the wooden spoon with them everywhere as like a threat. But both her parents completely deny this. And her mom even says, I don't know why you made up this horrible childhood, but like, you need to get over it. You need to get some help. You're crazy. Get some help kind of thing. Obviously she might not want to admit to it, but again, this seems really weird. There's not any, there's no records of Jody coming to school all bruised up or anything, but yeah, the way she accounts it, she had it rough. Her parents decide actually when she's a very young teenager that they're going to move to Wairica, California, and they want to open up a Mexican restaurant. This is a much smaller town and Jody did not adapt well. 
because it's a small town. Everybody's known each other forever. They're really clicky. And while here walks in Jody, and it seemed like people just, you know, she's having issues making friends. So in the eighth grade, her parents bust her growing weed in her room. And I don't know, what would what would your parents do if they busted you in the eighth grade? Oh, that's, I don't know. That's pretty, pretty young, I think, as far as experimentation. But to be growing it, my parents probably would have killed me or beat my ass. I mean, <laughs> what would your parents have done? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They probably would have been like, I like the entrepreneurial spirit. Her parents actually called the cops. I mean, would your parents have called the cops? Like, yeah, I'm sure my parents absolutely would have punished me, but they never would have. I don't think they would have called the cops on me for it. They, they just freaked out, called the cops. She didn't really get in much trouble. Like, she didn't get arrested for it or anything, but she never trusted them again. Even her parents admit, like, that was a game changer. She wouldn't tell them anything. She was really private all of a sudden. She hid everything from them. And then, you know, they, because of that, they got stricter and things like that. And she couldn't take it anymore and actually moved out when she was 16. She was only a junior in high school. And she said, enough's enough. She moved out and she moved in with one of her boyfriends. She wants to start her life and she feels like she's a real creative person. She loves photography and she wants to excel in that. She wants to grow that whole business a little more. She never got much success, but... She did shoot some weddings. Could you imagine watching Bateline and being like, wait a second, I remember her. Yeah, yikes. I don't know. That's going to make me question when I plan a wedding of who I choose for my photographer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. Gotta run like a background check on them now. Seriously. She's got big goals. So she's this small town is it never was for me. And she moves to Big Sur, California. So more touristy of an area, a lot more things to do. And there she meets her new boyfriend, Daryl Brewer. And he's not a huge character in this story, but personally, I remember his testimony for me was really like the, how do you say it? Like the nail that put the coffin in the her. nail in the coffin there we yeah go. yeah I can't do this today but um, it to me I just remember in the 2020 special being like, whoa she definitely did this she planned this out so I'll get into that more later but she did have a long-term relationship with him she was living with him and his son and she was really helping out but the thing that I didn't know that again sort of shocked me was that so obviously he had an ex-wife or you know got this baby mama and you know Jody comes across as being super confident but I think that I don't know well I'll ask you what you think or why she did this but she the so the ex-wife had platinum blonde hair and Jody actually has really dark hair has her whole life and all of a sudden she goes platinum blonde Okay, everybody has a blonde phase, maybe you say. I'm not going to judge her for that. But then the baby mama gets, she gets her boobs done. She gets a boob job. And weeks later, Jody's like making the appointment pretty much. And she gets hers done. So, I mean, what what do you think that means? Or what do you think about that? She's trying to compete or she feels a little bit threatened. And she wants to one-up her boyfriend's ex-wife. You know, she's... This is maybe what he likes or maybe what he's into. So I'm going to try and mimic that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I get. 
I do think that's a big part of it. I also think that we'll find with her that she's that girl who's like, tell me what you want me to be and I'll be it. You know, I think she thinks of herself even as being like sort of moldable. I think it's both. I think it's either a bit of a confidence thing or it's just like, hey, this is what you like. This is what I'm going to be. And I'm going to be perfect for you. Well, um, why not just be yourself if you've already like got the guy or whatever he's with you obviously there's something about you that he likes already enough as it is so why bother you know if it is a com- if it is a confidence thing i don't know i i feel like then i would lean more towards being being moldable and really trying to please who you're with versus trying to compete with the ex-wife yeah i we'll see with her personality it could have been either depending <laughs> Well, I'll let you make your decision at the end, but they are, they're living life. Everything's going okay, but it starts to, you know, they hit a rough patch. Even though they've been together for like four years, they're clearly less in love. We'll say that. And that's when Daryl, who is older, is just telling her, hey, I love you, but I'm not getting married again. I have zero plans of that. And I don't want, I never want to have more children. And that was a deal breaker for her. I think she kind of had a foot out the door sort of thing already in the relationship. And she was working really hard, not just around the house and helping with the son, but she also was working three jobs at this time. She was ready for a change. And that is when she comes across this company, Prepaid Legal. This is basically, it's a pyramid scheme, but uh, from all accounts now. But what they do is literally, it's in the title. So they sell legal services. So you just pay monthly. And I did zero research, but I'm assuming this is far more for companies that constantly need contracts reviewed or something. And less like, hey, I think I might be in jail next March and I'd like to start paying now. But they throw a bunch of these conventions and she decides she's new with the company. She really wants to do well. She's going to go to Vegas and go to this convention. And when she's there, there's this motivational speaker and, you know, she's this this guy's rising quickly at the company and he's really attractive. A guy on Jody's team actually knows this guy, Travis Alexander, and he's telling him, you've got to meet this girl on my team. She's really attractive. You're going to like her. So, yeah. So he, he introduces them and right away he's like, Hey, he's liking Jody a lot. And he asked her, did you bring a really nice dress that you can wear? Cause I really want to take you to the formal executive dinner. And usually because you get two tickets. So most people bring their wives, but he's not married. He doesn't have a girlfriend there or anything. And they end up going together. And everybody says like the whole night, he's really trying to impress her. They're like talking the whole time. And they even end up staying up and just talking till like 4 a.m. And the next morning he tells his friends, I just met the girl I want to marry. He's he's smitten. He just loves her. And she drives home and immediately breaks up with Daryl. So I'm assuming she had very similar feelings. Sounds mutual for sure. What was the guy's name? The motivational speaker guy? So this is Travis Alexander. Okay. Okay. So this is now the story is going to be about him. We really will hear about Daryl during the trial. 
Now they've met, like they basically met on vacation, right? Like they met in Vegas, but neither of them live in Vegas. She lives in California and he lives all the way in Mesa, Arizona. They're going to do the long distance thing. They're going to try to make it work. One way they do this, they both love traveling. They're taking all of these trips. And I actually really love this part. They got this book called A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. And they were just like checking them off the list, right? They're going to all these places that are on this book. And I think there's like maybe this goal of like one day we'll do all thousand. And I just, I don't know. I thought it was really cheesy and sweet. And I kind of want to get that book now. <laughs> Same. I'm like scrambling to go on Amazon and make sure I buy that book today. Right. Okay. I mean, again, this is, they're, they're growing in this relationship. It's still new. It's still young, but let's take a look at Travis a little more. I almost remember him as being like this bro. I didn't know. I don't want to say like, I didn't know he had a past, but he had a really rough childhood. And this is, and that's actually why I brought up the whole Jody thing. I want to know when her rough childhood actually started. Cause I'm wondering if she was just like, I need to have a rough childhood too, so that you'll relate to me. And But he had it rough. He had, both his parents were addicted to drugs. His mom would, would do a bunch of drugs and pass out for four days and stuff. The kids were not being taken care of and there was no food in the house. And he was talking about how like, you know, when there's no adults there, there's no, and the food runs out. Sometimes the food will go bad and it'll be rotting and then you just give up and you'll eat that food. It's that that bad of a situation and then when she would wake up she was abusive so it was just bad all around but thankfully his grandma would eventually come and like take over the situation she actually took all of the kids they moved in with her and she started taking care of them and she was mormon and she wanted them raised in the church to help them you know, guide them out of this terrible childhood and it really worked ravis loved the church it seems like all of his siblings did but this really helped him build his identity and, you know, he really attributes the church to actually helping him a lot. And this helped him. He was successful. He was happy he Had a bunch of friends, you know, he was really doing good in life. And he even, he gave back. He did missionary work in Colorado and, you know, he was really trying to live this good Mormon life. Is he still fairly young at this time too? Yeah, so around this time, he is 29. Okay. 29, 30. And she's, let me do the math. She's three years younger than him. So she's 27. Okay. And so, so their relationship's going good. But obviously, I mean, he's real. I already said it. She's Christian. He's very Mormon. And that's like a big elephant in the room. He has never even dated a non Mormon woman. And he's, I really like this girl though. Maybe I can get her to convert. And he actually starts sending Mormons to her house to try to convert her. And every night he's reading her scripture and Jody's like, okay, I, I can get the hint. Like I'll, again, I'll, I'll be whatever you want me to be. You know, I always have wanted to become a Mormon. Like, <laughs> you know? And so she tells him, you know, I want to be baptized as Mormon. And, you know, he says, I will baptize you. She officially gets baptized. She is now Mormon. Do you want to like take any guess how far into their relationship they are? Weeks. Close two months. So 
Yeah, they're about two months in. I don't even know if they're actually technically officially dating, but at this point, they're, they are going on all these trips and stuff. Now they're both Mormon, but they're having sex, which is really, it's a completely against the rules. I don't know if you thought I'll make her Mormon and then we'll stop sinning, but now they're just full sinning. They really seem... So Travis is addicted to her. There's no way around it. Like, and they are not, ha- I, I don't mean to go into all the sex stuff, but I listened to a lot of the trial and there's a lot of sex tapes on there. Not sex tapes, but they would call each other. They do like the sex dig and phone sex and she recorded it. So we got to listen to it. Wait a second. She recorded it? Yeah. I'm actually like, that was like a spoiler alert because I'll, I'll get into all of that very soon. I mean, also there, it's still new, right? You know, so anytime that you're in something new, you're like all over that person. You're obsessed with that person. You just want to spend every waking moment with that person and you can't keep your hands off of them. But so how deep into this now is it? Or this is still like the around the two month mark or early in their relationship. Yeah, this is still early. This is like two months, three months mark. And the problem is, so what I can tell from my research and stuff is like, he's not looking for a girlfriend. He's definitely not looking for a booty call kind of thing. He is looking for a wife. And I guess when you're Mormon and forgive me if I got this wrong, but I was reading that 30 is like a big age. Like you're supposed to be married by the time you're 31. It's like, you almost have to hang out in a different group if you're not married. So to him, it's really important now. And he's, he's looking for a wife. And I think he was trying to turn Jody into the perfect wife, but the more it's going along, the more he kind of sees her as the bad girl, you know, he even calls her a slut and things like that. I think that in his head, it's just, you can't marry her, right? Like she's not pure. (laughs) And so yeah, so what she's doing in her other relationships, I'm sure it worked. She was like, I know how to keep a man. Let me show you. And he's like, you're making me impure, even though I really don't want you to leave quite yet. Sounds like she was quite the temptress. Yes. Yeah, I will definitely say that. Okay. Okay. So then what happens? Oh, it gets weird. Let me tell you. His friends are like even starting to notice that she might be a little weird. And he's got, Travis has these friends that he really looks up to. It's Chris and Sky. That's like relationship goals for him, you know? And he likes to stay there and kind of learn from them. And their house is actually, they have a house that's like halfway in between where Travis and Jody live. So it's perfect. And they let them come there all the time. I mean, they let them come there so much. They like give them their own rooms and everything. And You know, they have to sleep in separate rooms because, again, they're not supposed to be sleeping together. And they're relaxing one night in the hot tub. And they're, like, just, you know, having conversation and enjoying themselves. But Jody will not stay off of Travis. Like, she's on him. She's biting his neck. And, like, four of them in a little hot tub. And Sky actually describes it as, like, eighth graders whose parents went out of town. And it was just like very uncomfortable for all of them. And Travis is embarrassed and trying to get her off of him, but she just will not stop. She will not get off of him. She's really starting to get like super clingy. Like she'll follow him to the bathroom and just wait out there and listen. Weird stuff like that. 
And she gets really jealous. Like if she is talking to another girl for anything, she gets super jealous and she wants him right by her whenever they're out all the time. So people know she wants, she makes it clear. I want people to know that we are together. And it's, you know, it's just a lot. It's a lot to take. It sounds like it's almost bordering on obsession. Like she was obsessed with him. I mean, to be outside of the bathroom while someone's going to the bathroom would make me feel uncomfortable. And I'd, I'd probably see that as a red flag. And oh, I mean, Travis, I'm sure is seeing this and is recognizing this is not healthy and this is not someone that I can have a future with, right? No, I mean- from what it seems like, he's not really seeing it quite yet, you know? He's, again, he's still really into her. He thinks she's really, like, it's all innocent. She's like, he's never, it's not going to go much further. He is really seeing it, too, more as like, oh, she's going through my phones. Like, she's just insecure and jealous. But she's, with everything, takes it one step further. Where, like, she would go through his phone and actually send all, any, like, email or anything to another woman like she would send it to herself so she could read it later and really read over it and things like that so but he is sort of just not seeing it but she's leaving every hint possible that she is ready to be his fiance and she wants to move to mesa to be with him but he's not really inviting her kind of thing to do that so she tells him, like, I'm actually really scared here. Some guy's obsessed with me and he keeps sending me all these emails. And she's showing him these emails and they say things like, you're gorgeous. And I know you're alone because Travis is in Arizona and I'm going to come attack you sometime and things like that. And they're, they're just really bizarre. And he's, he's kind of worried and he actually brings it up to his friend guy and Chris again and he's like can you believe this look at what what's going on and Sky's like are you serious like she she wrote that like she's the one (laughs) I think it sounds like he just wanted to believe it just I mean maybe to have her closer to him but I mean his friends are even like yo what (laughs) How much, how much more obvious can it be? Right. So. That's diabolical. You know that, right? Yeah. Don't worry. It's going to get a little worse, but they're going to, they're going to talk to him about it. They're actually talking to him right now. They, so Sky texts Chris because they're there. They're there all the time. And she's like, I can't stand Jody. <laughs> the phone sitting there. And Travis actually sees it. Like it pops up. And he's like, What's going on? Why don't you like my girlfriend? <laughs> and they and Chris is like, I'm do I don't want to talk to you about this alone. Like, I think Sky would want to be a part of this conversation. Like, let's all talk about it later. So they wait that until that night when Jody is asleep and they all go into Sky and Chris's room and they're like, look, she's obsessed with you. This isn't safe. Like, we're actually scared. We're worried for your safety at this point. And Sky even says, I'm terrified that we're going to get a call one day that she has you chopped up in her freezer or something. And it's like kind of a joke, but, but obviously it's creepy now. And they're talking and then all of a sudden 
she's like, she gets this feeling that someone's listening in. So she's pointing to the door, like she's out there. And Travis is like, no, no, he's still sort of in denial. And Chris is like, oh, she's, you know, they're whispering. She's behind that door. So Travis like sneaks over to the door and whips it open. And she is, she's standing there. She gets busted, standing there listening. And she's like, oh, uh, is, is there going to be a problem? <laughs> you fucking nutcase. To get caught like that eavesdropping, you know how mortifying and embarrassing that had to have been for her. I mean, so, come, come on. on. Come on. <laughs> have you ever been in that situation where you're talking shit? You're like, that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and then to have the door opened and you're like, well, she heard everything that we were talking about. Yeah, I was like, I don't know who's more embarrassed, but getting busted with your ear at the door, it's got to be pretty bad. Like, yeah. And, and especially when you're like, well, they're not planning my birthday party. <laughs> and then too, you're at their house. So it's okay. Do I leave? Because now I feel really awkward. They were talking shit. They think I'm a weirdo. They think I'm crazy. Maybe I am crazy. Like I would want to leave. Like what What would you, what do you do? Well, don't worry. Cause they kicked her out. <laughs> they were like, you like, they, they didn't like kick her out right that night, but they were like, you got, she can't come here anymore. And okay. And at that moment, Travis is like, go downstairs. Like, I'll come talk to you later. Yeah, they, they make it clear, like, we don't feel safe. And they said, like, when she, when he opened the door, at first it was just, like, pure anger. Like, she was furious. And so Sky actually, like, I, I don't know if it was, like, the next morning or whatever. She is downstairs with her. And Jody's like, she's telling him, you're not allowed in my house anymore. Like, I think you're obsessed with him. Like, you, you should basically get some help. And she's like, not zero emotion or whatever. And then she's like, well, are you gonna, are you gonna tell Travis not to see me? And she's like, I already did. And that's when she starts crying. She's like, no. But, you know, always, always an interesting time with her. You'd think, right? Like, like, what do you think the next step is? I mean, I feel like I know that Travis obviously didn't stop talking to her at this point, right? Like, this is my guess, but he did, right? He continued to see her, and I'm sure she got crazier. Yeah, he did not break up with her. They still stayed together for a couple months, but... And she's still... They're still living apart. Yeah, at this point, they're still living apart. But I think, you know, when somebody point stuff out to you and then all of a sudden you're like oh I ding think, ding yeah. ding little light bulbs start coming on you're like okay yeah so I, I see your yeah like, oh, hey, that's not normal <laughs> I forgot so I think it's like a few more months of this and he just realizes yeah my friends were right like I need to break up with this girl this isn't a good situation Jody Aries thinks okay perfect time I'm going to move to Mesa, Arizona right now. They went from being a thousand miles apart to being 10 minutes apart. Okay. So, but she didn't move in with him. No, she, she just didn't. moved closer. No, because she's stalking him. He doesn't want her. She's just there all the time now. I'm not going to say he didn't want her at all. You, and I'm not blaming him. You know how it is. 
it was hard to get over her. It was hard to move on from her when she was a thousand miles away. And now she's 10 minutes away and you could just be hooking up all the time. So and there, I get that. I, I was just going to say that it almost is like the temptation is there. He's not going to resist. It's so close. And then too, if she's on board with it also, which it sounds like she was, how do you walk away from it? It's right there in your face. Now you're no longer a thousand miles apart. It also sounds like they both, or that he was maybe not as infatuated with her as she was with him, but like he obviously was extremely attracted to her. I mean, he was doing all these things against his moral code of being Mormon or whatnot to like fornicate with her. So I don't know. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Travis was definitely getting something out of the relationship, but I don't think it was what Jody was getting. But she's not going to give up. Sometimes she would like sneak into his house. So she would use his garage code and she would be in bed when he got home. Sometimes he would, well, the way she describes it, like sometimes he'd be like, hey girl, hey, and like be like all over her. And then the next time he would flip out and be like, you know, get out of my house. Like, what are you doing here? And so she's like, I don't know what he wants from me. <laughs> Does he want me to break into his house or not? <laughs> and she's just getting kind of really loopy. Well, why not just change your freaking locks if you don't want her to, to do that anymore? Great question. So I think that he did actually. And the reason I think that he did is because later people will tell the story of he had people I think in from like out of town there's a bunch of people over she was trying to like come over that night and he's like there's not there's no there's not even any room here like don't come do not come to my house they didn't invite her they didn't let her in and I think the garage code had changed and that's how they knew that she went through the doggy door she went through the doggy door and then they found her asleep under the Christmas tree Ashley are you kidding me right now? She climbed. She was that desperate, even without an invitation, that she climbed through a doggy door? Yeah. And slept on the floor? And slept on the floor underneath. That's her. really embarrassing. That's extremely embarrassing. Yeah, it's very embarrassing. It's horrible. But Travis is really trying to move on. I think... It's hard to let go of that part of his relationship, but he wants to find a wife, right? He's looking for a good Mormon woman that he can share his life with. And he finds this girl, Lisa, from his church. He really likes her. They're dating. Everything seems to be going well. Except for somebody keeps showing up to this girl, Lisa's house and pounding on the doors and windows and then running away. And hmm. mysteriously... <laughs> Yes, mysteriously, when Travis is over there, somehow his tires keep getting popped. I wonder who's doing that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's hard to deal with that. Like, what do you do? Like, you're being stalked. You don't know what to do. And I think that maybe the kicker at this point is Lisa's finally, I'm done. And it's not even... Because she's getting threatening emails from this crazy lady who's showing up at her house or anything like that. It's because she knows that he's cheating on her with Jody, with the girl who's being crazy. And she's like, I'm enough's enough. And she breaks up with him. 
And somehow around this time, though, he does convince Jody to move back home. It's been eight months and he's like, there's nothing for you here. Please leave. And she decides that he's right. And she moves back in with her grandparents in Wairika. And they both move on. They seem to be happier. Travis is falling for this new girl, Mimi. And Mimi is like not that into him. She's like, we can be friends. But he has a crush on her. He's heavily pursuing her. And Jody's like, hey, I got the formula down. I'm just going to go to my next convention. I'm going to start my next long distance relationship with this guy, Ryan Burns. And basically it does the same thing. He's also Mormon. Like she's just following everything to a T. She's like, I know the rules here. And- <laughs> she's got the she's got the cheat code, the cheat sheet. So she's like, we're going to run this one more time. Yeah. So they seem to be happy, but again, what are they doing? Like they start calling each other and this is when the phone sex really starts and it's getting bad. And they're like, you know, this is when she, I was telling you, she recorded it and things like that. And this will get brought up in the trial, but it's like, it's again, I'm absolutely 100% not blaming Travis because you know, he definitely didn't deserve this, but it, it you just see that they, it seems like they both couldn't let each other go. I do think Jody had a lot more to do with it, but he was calling her too. He wasn't completely innocent in this toxic relationship. But towards the end of that month, they got into this like huge fight in Gchat. And in it, they never come out and say exactly what happened, but everybody kind of assumes that either she used those tapes or he found out about the tapes or something and knew that she was going to try to use them to blackmail him. And so they got into this huge fight. It seems like friends and stuff kind of think like, okay, this is it. Like, have you ever had friends that are in like a really horrible, toxic relationship and they have like a huge fight and you're like, okay, this is, this is going to be it. This is going to be the last time I can feel it. Everybody kind of feels that way. Even Travis is making comments. Like, I feel like I can move on with my life. And Jody is planning to go on this road trip. So she is going to go meet Ryan Burns in Salt Lake City, Utah, and she's going to take this road trip there. Almost right around the same time, Travis Alexander is going to take Mimi Hall to Cancun for this work retreat. The days before the trip that they're actually supposed to leave, Mimi keeps calling Travis and he's like not answering. And, you know, she's like, is he... Kettle, is he just ghosting me or what? And she's like, I don't, he's not the type. He wouldn't just not tell me that he doesn't want me to go anymore. And also his friends are trying to get a hold of him. And I think what takes so long for somebody to actually go over there is that a, a lot of his friends are already in Mexico on this retreat. So part of it too, is they're calling him and asking him like, Hey, like we want to do this excursion with you and Mimi. What's going on? And he's not getting back to him. But then he misses this work call and everybody knows like he wouldn't do that. So that was the deciding factor. Mimi and two of his friends go over to the house. They're pounding on the door. They're ringing the doorbell. And then somebody remembers, oh, hey, I actually have the garage door key, the garage door code. And so they go into the house. So they get in there and instantly they smell something horrible. They, oh my gosh. Yeah. Something smells. They're, they're concerned. They go to his bedroom door and it's locked. Well, they're like, what? 
But then they actually run into his roommate. His roommate was home, but he was watching a movie and didn't hear them pounding on the door. And he's like, they're like, have you seen Trey? Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> and it smells really bad in there. And the roommate's just in there chilling. Yeah, and he's just in there chilling. And he, he's, they're like, hey, have you seen Travis? And he's like, no, isn't Travis in Cancun? I haven't seen him in five days. And they're like, no, he's supposed to leave for Cancun tomorrow. Nobody can see him and his door's locked. And he's like, okay, I actually have a key to get into the room in a case of emergency. So he grabs the key and he heads for the door. He unlocks it and instantly he sees, he sees blood. He keeps walking and then he sees Travis Alexander dead in his shower and yells, call the cops. Ashley, I'm so... How does his roommate say he hasn't seen... Tell me that... Because I don't know this case that that well. His roommate had nothing to do with any of this. Please tell me, right? Hold on. He has two Oh roommates. my gosh. He has two roommates. So he has and two roommates living there who smell like a weird smell, but don't... No way. I'm serious. The moment. Let me ask you this. If you smell something like that smells dead. Okay. Like dead. What are you going to do? You're going to, I'm going to be like, where is it? Where is it? Until I find it. I'm, it's going to bug me. So please don't tell me this dude was dead in his bathroom for five days with two people living in the apartment or wherever they were living. Yeah, and the cops are very suspicious of them right away. Because the other thing, too, is they're looking around, and they're pretty, there's no, like, nobody broke in, right? Like, nobody picked a door in or anything like that. There's no broken windows. So, and it's clear because Travis's area especially is really clean. He's got all of his shoes in a, the, a nice arranged way. Like, the room's really clean. They think, like, there's, you, there's some signs of a struggle but like somebody knew this it layout they knew the area so they're really looking pretty heavily at these roommates and the roommates actually check out because they 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 both have alibis hey we're just like dumb young guys i don't know like what <laughs> <laughs> oh that have no freaking sense of smell too <laughs> yeah yeah and the cops actually find in the washer that somebody has put the sheets that were on Travis Alexander's bed in the washer. And they had also, they ran a camera through there. So yeah, so this is actually going to be her downfall, but it also just proves so they didn't do laundry for five days. Like that, that's what I'm hearing. But they're, they're able to, you know, move on from them. They clear them. And now they're going to focus on this camera because the camera's broken, but they're able to get an SD card out of it. So they have to send it to the lab to try to fix. And, but other than that, they're kind of stumped. They have no idea what, you know, who it could be, but don't worry. All of the friends are making it damn clear who they think it is. Every single friend is coming forward. All the family's coming forward and saying like, you need to look at Jody Aries. Like she did this. And they don't even have to call her because she's calling them. So Jody's actually calling the police because she's just 
she's so broken hearted and she's the ex-girlfriend and she just wants to see if she can offer her assistance in any way. <laughs> and she's actually getting angry because they're not calling her back. So they they finally get on the phone with her because they're like, you know what? We do have some questions for you. Side note, this bitch showed up. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's like no way around it. She showed up to his funeral. She sat in the front row, didn't even cry, and was like, I'm the, the ex-girlfriend. Can the you audacity. <laughs> the audacity. The audacity. I'm, And you know everybody in there thought it was her. Nobody was questioning it, and she showed up. I mean, I am listening to this, and it's very obvious. So, yeah. I could see everyone. Why is she here? Why isn't she already arrested? Yeah. So the, the cops are talking to her. They're like, where were you? You're running through it. And she's like, oh, I was actually heading to Salt Lake City, Utah. I was on this road trip. You know, he actually really wanted me to come there and was all upset that I wasn't going to come to his house on this road trip. But, you know, I... I didn't want to tell him I was going to see my new boyfriend, Barry, anyways. And like, you can track with Barry. Go ahead. I did make a wrong turn and I did get lost for a while and I'm not above sleeping in my car. So I did sleep in my car for 10 hours because I I also sleep a lot. But and then I made it to Barry's and there, the time's still not adding up. You still could get to Arizona. And she's like, yeah, but I was never in Arizona. And she's like, you know, like you can check my gas receipts, everything. I was never in Arizona. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll follow up with Barry. And so they call Barry and he's like, yeah, Jody did show up and she showed up the exact time she said she did and everything. You know, there was some weird things though. She got there and she had dark brown hair. So he had always known her as that platinum blonde and she just showed up and she had dark brown hair. And the other thing that he noticed was there was little cuts all over her hands. But she's she said that was just from bartending. So like that's that. Like that's he's like basically like that's all I know. The detectives were like interesting, very interesting. So now it's July 15th. The detectives actually travel all the way to Wairika, California to interview Jody Arias. And they, which first of all, they get there and she's not even really, she doesn't seem concerned. She's not asking like, why did you travel all the way here? She's acting like they literally were like, we're just here so you can help us solve the case. But they're like, you know, we just need you to actually break down this road trip for us a little more because we're we still have some more questions and you know she's she's going through you know all the issues that she has and you know they're it, it's just still nothing's really making sense but they go well you know the the weird part is that we found a bunch of your hair at the prime scene and she's like you know that's not weird my hair's all over the house I'm sure probably you probably did. I, you know, I've, I've stayed there several nights and they're like, okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. But you know, we got these pictures off the camera that we found in the washer. Would you know anything about a camera? And she's like, 
No. <laughs> they pull out all these photos and they're all time stamped and they're showing uh, like Travis in the shower, you know, it's time stamped. There's pictures of Jody and there's naked pictures of both of them. There's some pretty graphic pictures. I think the most famous one, she's got braids in and she's just laying there naked. And, you know, she's <laughs> she's leaning over the table and she's like, you know, that does look like me. And <laughs> so then she's like still denying it. She's like, well, you know, I, I'm like, I'm not accusing you, but I hear you can change those, the timestamps and all that stuff. And he's like, well, here's one, and it's literally Travis Alexander on the ground. He's bleeding, and there's Jody's leg. It's Wait, even picture of her doing it practically. She's like, "Not me, nope." And <laughs> who is it then? <laughs> I mean, let me tell you, Kristen. So, but first, let me tell you. First, they like they're like we're done with this girl, so we're arresting you. Like we're arresting you right now, and she's like, "Oh, I know, I know. This is gonna show just how shallow I am." But can I please freshen up before my mugshot? And they're like, "No, fuck no!" And they you're don't. kidding. She wanted to put makeup on or like freshen up. Thankfully, they did not let her. But that's a famous scene then. They leave her alone in that room for a while. And suddenly she does a handstand. She's talking to herself. And she starts singing, Oh, Holy Night. And I remember that just being all over the news at one point. I don't know what is wrong with this girl. She goes and she takes the mugshot, right, Kristen? And she's smiling and she tilts her head a little. She does the, like, the angel face kind of thing. And they said they've never seen anything like it. It's, I think it's actually pretty creepy. I wonder what she thinks about that mugshot. I hope she hates it. It's definitely not her best photo. The story behind the photo even is is more telling of her personality and her character that she asked if she could freshen up before she takes they take her mugshot for murder yes yes <laughs> like honey you've got you've got bigger problems than how you're gonna how your face is gonna look on this mugshot so let me tell you who really did it because you were asking because now she's in, you know, she, she decides maybe she'll open up. Actually, she doesn't decide she'll open up. Because first they bring in a woman detective and she just shuts down. She's not interested in talking to this woman at all. And finally, the woman's like, do you want to talk to the other detective again, the male detective? And she's like, yeah, I do think I would be more comfortable. You know, he's talked to the family and all this stuff. So they're like, okay. They bring him back in. And she's like. I think I might need to talk and tell you what really happened now. This is what happened. She says that they were in the shower. She's taking the pictures. And all of a sudden, these two white Americans break in and they have ski masks on. They shoot Travis in the head. And she's freaking out. And she runs off. And there are these ninjas. And they're like, uh, they grab her. And... 
the woman just wants to kill her, you know, right away wants to kill her. But the guy's like, no, that's that's not what we're here for. And they go through her purse and they find her ID and they're like, oh, you must be that bitch from California. They tell her, if you ever tell anyone about this, we now know where you live. We know where your family lives and we're coming for you. And we're going to do the same thing for you. So just keep your mouth shut. And then she was like, okay. And then she just ran out. She goes and gets in her car and she drives straight to Salt Lake City. That is her story of what happened. Yes. And the detective first just sits there and stares at her for a second. And then basically laughs and is like, "Is that's the story you came up with? That you think that's what's going to help? That's what's going to get you out of here? Like, you're more screwed than you thought. Did he actually have a gunshot, a gunshot wound to his head? Yeah, he was shot. And then he okay. was stabbed 27 times, I think. I want to just slap her right now. I want to physically just... What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Yes. Yes. It's going to get worse, too. When we go through the evidence, you're going to get so much more mad. Now she's got to get a lawyer and stuff, right? So she gets a a court-appointed attorney, Kirk Naomi. And this guy, he's, he's, I don't know, he's kind of funny. He's, like, just trying to get through this because he can't stand Jody Aries. like he actually despises her like he'll later blame her for getting cancer he quits his job because of her he does not want to defend her and he petitions to the court to like be let go and they reject him because she wants him to represent her so he's stuck continuing the case even though he's like essentially turned in his two-week notice he's now gotta defend her for the next two years which I, I don't know. That is kind of brutal. I almost feel like no one liked this girl. Like uh, no one. Like, yeah. did she have friends of her own, her own parents? You know, they're like, you're making up these stories about your childhood. Who liked her? Was she also an only child? No, she was one of four. She was the oldest. I, I don't, don't know. get it. I don't get it. She always had a bunch of boyfriends, not like a bunch of boyfriends, but she's never been without a boyfriend, but I don't, I mean, I couldn't find a bunch of, you know, there's not a bunch of of her friends coming forward and talking about her either way. It just seems like she has like boyfriends and then like her boyfriend's friends. So maybe a fear of being alone. If she, you know, she's always with someone or has to have a partner or has to have someone else that maybe defines who she is. I don't know. But she had already moved on. She had Barry. I don't know. I feel like whatever her and Travis may have had, it was, what's the word? Like some type of chemistry that's rare, you know? And it sounds like it was mutual. Like they both were like, just drawn to each other maybe it was a sexual thing or something i don't know but i i I just i I feel like she couldn't move on from him i agree and i think but i do think she has this like psychopathic energy you know like think of like your 
Ted Bundy's and not to keep bringing him up, but I definitely think she has some Gacy <laughs> qualities there. So I think these guys like do fall for her and they just, she's got this charisma to her. And I think that, you know, when you combine that with like really good sex, you know, I don't know if poor Travis had a chance. I can't really say that. And I'm not saying like, you know, that that makes a difference, but was she gorgeous? Is she gorgeous? I don't think she, how do I say this? Like she's hot. Yeah, she's hot. She looks good, but she's not like, oh my God. You know what I mean? She's good. Okay. You should look at her. Come on. I'm going to look her up You're after. You're going to look up that naked photo. You know. as soon no, as not the naked photo, but I'm going to look her <laughs> up. I'm going to look her up just to see. Cause I feel like I have like an idea of what she looks like, but that she just looked very just basic or plain. I don't know. That might come off like weird or bad, but. No, I think that, uh, so originally she has this like platinum blonde hair and she just seems, I don't know. To me, she seems very this, she's trying to be like this blonde bombshell. Imagine that kind of character. And then after she dyes her hair brown and now once she like gets into court, she suddenly is like trying to look like a librarian with glasses. and so (laughs) sweet and innocent. I love to look her up. As soon as you'll see her, you're like, yeah, I remember her, but when she was like exuding the whole bombshell look, was it a true bombshell or was it like a humble bombshell? Cause him being Mormon, I feel like that's going to be frowned upon if she's like exposing herself or like reveal wearing the re- revealing things. So was it, was that for behind closed doors and she was super modest, like on the outside or she was just, what about she was Jody it makes out. you think she's humble? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, what if he's looking for this, you know, a good wife and you know, this, these qualities that he's looking for in a woman, what did she have on that, on his list? what boxes was she checking for him? Cause I feel like I don't see, I don't see the correlation there. I do think that she, I, I mean, I don't think she was wearing like super revealing clothing or anything. I think she was a little too touchy feely, but I, I think he thought she was a good person and she was trying to do good things and she was a hard worker and stuff. She clearly had some good qualities that he saw that he kind of fell for, but I don't know. She you... seems to trap these guys. You know, sex can make can make men think differently. I feel like they get yeah. caught up in that, and then they just everything else, all the other red flags, all the negativity, all the other things that you would just be like, I that's I'd want to stray away from that. I feel like if she was enticing him in that way sexually, that he was just like, oh well, I'm just gonna keep messing around with her because at least I'm being fulfilled with that, you know. Yeah, I was the thing that surprised me was I assumed that maybe he lost his virginity to her, but he didn't. He had actually he no, he had, he didn't. He there was this other girl. I I don't have too much of the information on it, but she they went to the church and I don't know what they do. I'm Catholic, so we would go and confess. So it was the equivalent of that, and they had to admit that yeah, we we, we did it. So so I don't know. I think. I think she was offering something a little more wild. Maybe that enticed him too. We'll get into that. Well, of course, we'll get into more details because that's when it really comes out in these court proceedings. 
the, I, the one thing I did want to add is that her attorney, so Kirk Nermy, he actually goes to tell her, hey, like you got your wish. I actually do have to, you know, represent you. And she's like, great. Now she is annoyed because she thinks, you know, representing her is a big deal. Like he should be saying thank you, if anything. And she threatens him. She's like, look, you need to get on board and you need to represent me the right way, the way I want to be represented, or I'm going to badmouth you. And I know you just quit your job. You've got this whole new career that you're trying to get. And I'm going to tell everybody that you're a horrible lawyer and I'm going to make this all, I'm going to ruin everything for you unless you, you know, get on board. And she is talking to the press a lot and stuff. So I think he's, he just feels so stuck with her. But what? (laughs) Is she getting sympathy from the press or are they like this chick's totally guilty at this point? No, I mean, I think everyone thought she was guilty. They were like kind of attacking her, but she kept saying how like she was innocent and nobody was ever going to convict her and all this stuff. But it was just getting crazy. But just like the detectives, Kurt and Ermy and his team are like, look, nobody's buying the intruder theory. So you got to reason with me. We'll just come up with a better story at least maybe. I don't know. If we're just all out faking it, maybe we could just come up with something better. And so they start asking her all these questions about the relationship. And Jody describes a pretty toxic relationship. She says that she feels like Travis just used her for sex and that he would call her, he'd call her a slut and a whore and things like that. Even in like the recordings, it seems like she's getting into it. But the thing that got me was that he called her routinely the three hole wonder. Yeah, I don't. To me, I was like, okay, okay, Travis, you. <laughs> Alrighty, sounds I'll, like they. She was doing quite a bit of freakiness for him, so. Yeah, that's so, quite the nickname. Well, she confesses because for a long time they were just doing butt stuff because that's. I think you know sometimes you're like, well, that's not against the religion, right? So she actually tells the story. So you know, remember how he baptized her? She claims that when they got home, that he basically attacked her. And, you know, she explains, well, he's assaulting her and aggressively in the butt. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Ravaging her butt. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, that's not funny. Yeah. And like he, like he's like just calling her a dirty whore and stuff. Well, they're doing it. They're asking her, well, did you want that? And she's kind of like, no, not really. Come on. Nobody wants that. They're like, well, did you tell him that? And she's like, no, I didn't tell him. Like, you know, and it, so again, this is all her side of the story. And now she's trying to play really innocent also. So, you know, take of it with course. a Yeah. But so allegedly he's getting really abusive around this time. She's really starting to fear her own safety. And she said one time he wanted to borrow $200 and I didn't have it. So he just starts kicking me. And then when I'm crying and I'm hurt, he tells me, she says that he was like, shut up, bitch. You know, that didn't hurt. Kicks her again and ends up breaking her finger. But by all accounts, her family was, no, I never really, she never mentioned it. You know, there's not like all this evidence that he was actually at least physically abusive. 
the trial starts, I already mentioned, it was like a media sensation from the beginning. She was willing to talk to the press and they wanted to talk to her. They they put several cameras in the courtroom too. Like it wasn't just one. You know, they're getting shots of like all of Jody's reactions and the parents and all this stuff. And they're covering all the angles. And people are desperate to get into the courtroom. They're having to do a lottery every day. And people have like, they're selling their tickets. If they got it, they were selling it for up to like $300, which apparently you're not allowed to do. But people are paying it because they've taken vacation time and traveled all the way to Arizona just to, you know, to see this trial. And if you didn't get in, then you could go a couple blocks down and put a big screen up so you could watch it live. It was just like a circus. I have a question. Mm-hmm. What was it about this case that made the media so drawn to it and just people just in general so drawn to it? What was the climax or the, you know, what was it that drew people in to this? Because, I mean, this is such a, a well-known case. A lot of people have covered this case. What was it about that the media was just so sucked in by it? I mean, I think it has everything that you want in a media case, right? It's got like, you know, beautiful people. It's got sex. It's got religion. It's got murder. It's There's recording. Like it's kind of, it does seem to kind of have everything. I think that's part of it. I actually think it was a big media frenzy, but it was going on also right around the same time as Casey Anthony's case. I remember that I was actually watching that one a little more and I don't know, I wasn't like watching this one as closely, to be honest. Like I remember they kept playing clips of her singing in the interrogation room and then her smiling mugshot, but I wasn't, for neither cases, I didn't fly out to see it. I swear on that. But yeah, I wasn't, I feel like I wasn't watching as closely, but then I remember this 2020, like, you know, one of the two parters came out after the trial. I think for me, that's when I kind of got a little more obsessed with the case, but I think that's why people, a lot of, a lot of crazy shots. Okay. I hope I didn't just derail you. I'm like, wait, where are we? I don't know. (laughs) Where are we? I hope we're not. Okay. We've got a few more pages, guys. That's not too far. Hang on. It's going to get even crazier. Kirk and Nermi, he's like getting attacked. This is her lawyer again. He's getting attacked. And because people don't understand why he's defending her. They don't know. He doesn't want to be defending her. That he tried to get out of it. They thought that he was actually buying the stories that he's going to like defend and all the stories that she's telling. But he says it's like being stuck on a 24 hour reality show. He just wants off. He can't turn the cameras off. Juan Martinez is a little different. He's the prosecutor. He seems to sort of love the camera. He's like the opposite kind of guy. So he's smaller, but he's, he's more dramatic. He's, you know, he's a tough prosecutor to face. And Kirk and Nermy is not very well known. People are sort of shocked that he's even caught. He's the one defending her. And so they're like not expecting much out of him at all. So the whole reason, the whole argument that the prosecution is going to put on is that this is a revenge killing. And that basically... She's mad that he's not taking her to Cancun, that she's mo- he's moved on and he's going with this other woman. And this is really what like took him over the top and made her fly into a rage. 
So they actually claim that this is not just, this is far in advance premeditated. So she, her grandfather, weeks before this incident, her grandfather had a break-in and his gun was actually one of the things stolen in the break-in. So Mm. yeah, they think she was thinking that far in advance, I'm going to need a gun. And then, I mean, we, we already mentioned it. She, she did dye her hair right before she went on this road trip. She dyes her hair. Some other weird things. She didn't rent a car from her town. She actually drove a hundred miles to rent a car in a much smaller town. And so people wouldn't know she rented a car, I guess. So then this was the big thing that I remember got to me was her ex-boyfriend admits that she had called him weeks ago and asked to borrow gas cans. And they found a receipt in her house. So she had bought a gas can too. And so they did the math and she had, she could have taken enough gas that she could have made the drive through Arizona without stopping for gas. There was like no way they, they could prove she was in Arizona. That's determination. That's why I'm shocked she left the camera, to be honest. Dad, she really planned this out. Then you wonder too, why did she need a rental car? I think that was part of it. So when she showed up there, no one would recognize her car. And then when she got there too, she took the license plates off. That's really weird. That's like something you do like, oh, end of the trip. Let me take the license plates off. So there is a lot of really weird stuff. That's hard to argue that this wasn't premeditated. Absolutely. Wait, she took the license plates off the rental? Yeah. But she was just there to like hang out for a little bit for like a night before she headed to Utah. That story sounds so fishy. I don't know how she played that out in her head or thinking it was going to be received, but it it's it's not panning out. Sorry, boo. <laughs> yeah, right? This shocked a lot of people, but she actually took the stand. And the reason she took the stand, her team said there was no way they were ever going to be able to sell the story of where her headspace was, kind of what happened. They knew they were going to have to put her on the stand. And the first question they asked her is, did you kill Travis Alexander? And she said, yes, I did. And the simplest explanation is that he attacked me and I was defending myself. This is, this is the new story. So what, this is like story number three. She's, and she gives this on the stand. Yeah. On, on the stand. So <laughs> her lawyer was, hates her. She was on the stand for eight days. Her lawyer does. That's true. That's funny. So here we go. This is the story. This is what really happened. Supposedly. She's taking pictures. It's, you know, it's really steamy in there. And she ends up dropping his brand new camera and he flips out. So he jumps out of the shower and he slams her whole body onto the tile and he's yelling at her. A five-year-old could hold the camera better than you could. She somehow gets away from him and she just starts running. And then she runs into his closet and she remembers that he has a gun there. And so she grabs the gun and she's pointing it at him, but he's still running at her. Then the rest is a blur. She says that it's all just a fog because of the trauma. How convenient. (laughs) How convenient. She's got, yeah, this memory loss issue. 
But then this is where they go into it, Kristen. They go for it and they just start playing their phone sex tapes in court. I mean, you can hear it. He's calling her a whore, all the stuff. Again, she seems very into it. But they play They play several of them. I mean, he's talking about wanting to tie her to a tree. And you know what I mean? And do what he wants with her. And she's like, ooh. <laughs> so, so this is his thing or their thing of like dirty talk or whatever that gets them hot. But she's trying to play it off as if like that's how he really talks to her or that's how he really sees her as a whore and like a slut or whatever but they're talking like this during their dirty talk so you know it's either is it a bad thing or is it something that you guys are doing to turn each other on right exactly this is the part of the tape where i'm a little so she actually flat out accuses him of being a pedophile. And she says that one time she walked in and he was masturbating to a picture of a young boy. So then they play this recording and this is another phone call. And Jody Aries, Arias is, she's, how do I say this? She's clearly finishing and she's finishing loudly into the recording she's having a great time and then travis goes oh boy and he goes you sound like a 12 year old girl having your first orgasm that's hot and she goes what did you say and he says it again he says you sound like a 12 year old girl having an orgasm what do you think about that so is that why or how she then tried to play on the whole pedophile thing? Yeah. I don't know. So I did. I asked a couple of guys, like, would you like, is that something you would ever say? And they were basically like, please don't ask me that. Like, don't, don't. like no, like they, they all made it clear. Like they, they wouldn't say that. No, I never want to defend something like that, but they also did a lot of dirty talk and like, you know what I mean? It's not like they never, ever talked very extreme. And I don't believe that he was driving to California and tying her to trees. And you, you know what I mean? It would be far more concerning to me if he was just very vanilla and then all of a sudden said that. But it was weird. So the lawyer, her lawyer, Kurt and Ermy, he will eventually get in a lot of trouble because he writes this like tell all book. And in the book, he says like, hey, I actually didn't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe he's any kind of a pedophile. He was like, but I was, you know, held to my Sixth Amendment. I had to defend her. I couldn't really find any evidence that he did. And I couldn't find evidence that he didn't. And we did have this recording. That's why they, that's why they played it. And that's why they covered it. But it, again, in his book, he wants to make it clear that they also, they checked his whole house, you know, and obviously he didn't know anyone was coming over. They checked his whole house. They didn't find anything. They checked mm. his computer extensively and they did not find anything. I think it sounds like it was just something that he st stated. I mean, did he know that he was being recorded? No, he did not know he was being recorded. So maybe sh this girl had a, a motive the entire time because... Why record all this shit? I Why? think it was to blackmail him. He's 
seen as this really good guy in the Mormon community and like that right there would just, you know, any of that would really like take him, take him off of that status. Yeah. And you, I mean, especially the like, she's like, what, what did you say? Say it again in the, in the mic kind of thing. She was trying to get that on recording. It sounds like she had a motive the entire time, even before, outside of the obsession that she had with him or of him. It sounded like it was just a different avenue she was eventually going to take at some point anyways. And it was just waiting for the opportune moment to do it. Right? Yeah. I don't like her either, Ashley. I know. I'm telling you, like, I didn't know I was going to hate her this much, but I hate her. So let's go into the the cross-examination because now Juan Martinez is so excited. You know he was sitting there the whole time just, I can't wait to attack her for all this garbage that she's saying. So he gets up there. The Almost probably she's ready for him. She's sassy, which kind of goes against your like good girl library attitude. If I'm so innocent, she was snapping back at him. And I think, you know, they would kind of almost spar on the stand it was crazy one thing that I thought was interesting was that they had all of these personal details they found her diaries so they had all these crazy personal details even on that day she's talking about how she's falling in love with Travis and but she's not writing in there I'm really concerned that my boyfriend's a pedophile or she's not writing he's beating me up all the time he broke my finger she doesn't write any of that So he calls her out on that and she claims, well, it's because I prescribed to the law of attraction. And so she says, apparently you can't write anything bad down because if you write bad stuff down, then bad stuff will happen to you in life. You only want to focus on the good and the positivity. How do you prepare for a question like that? Did she know that that question was coming? Because that's quite the response, but what? I don't know. If I'm, what's the point of journaling then, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, again, they, they really went back and forth and, you know, finally they went through closing. The jury goes out and deliberates. She is found guilty of first degree murder. And Jody looks shocked. She's stunned. She really didn't think she was going to get charged for this. But now they, they have to move on to the sentencing phase. They, they're after the death penalty. And so it, during this part of the phase, the family, his family and his friends, they get a chance to express how she ruined her, their lives and everything. It's really emotional. And then Jody gets the chance to talk. The audacity of this horrible woman. She has the nerve to bring a shirt that says survivor that she made. She says she's making shirts that you can now purchase these shirts. She's going to donate all of the proceeds to organizations for battered women, basically. She also had to throw in that he was still alive when she split his throat. There was no reason to mention that besides to you just wanted to make sure the family heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Those final digs is what it sounds like is what she was aiming for. And I mean, survivor of what? Survivor of what exactly? Right. The jury goes back, but they 
they didn't, they couldn't agree. They, they really couldn't agree. So it was a hung jury. And <laughs> yeah, so they said that, so one of the jurors came forward and said they really just couldn't grab, grasp the fact that she would go all that way if it was that premeditated and then have sex with him all day. That makes perfect sense to me. I don't know how that can be not considered. I feel that is totally something that could happen. Right. It was also a guy and I was like, maybe he doesn't understand. Like the girl can enjoy it too. Like so she could have been getting something out of it. Like you might not know about that, sir, but. It's uh, a thing. It is a thing. They also brought up that they thought it was weird that he was stabbed so many times. If she, if she had brought the gun and they, you know. She knew she had the gun. Why Why wouldn't you just go in and do it right away? So yeah, it was a hung jury. And at that point, the state could just say, okay, we're just going to give you life in prison or they can go back and they can go in front of another jury. But his family wanted her put to death. They were like, you get in there, like you get her prosecuted. <laughs> Kill her. They go back to court. And I loved reading about this from all the different angles. Cause like Kirkman and Nermi was just, he wanted to be done so bad. He hated her so much. And now he's got to go back and defend her again. Cause they basically have to go through the whole trial, even though she's guilty. All they have to decide is whether or not she deserves the death penalty. So they go back and the, they come back a hung jury again. And the family, so his sister was actually really mad because the one juror who held out, she actually told the prosecutor, she said she told him, I, you should pull her. I don't like, I don't want that person on the, the jury. And he didn't. And that was the one holdout who didn't convict her. She, I guess in Arizona, the law is just, you, you get two shots. If you can't convict her, then it's automatic life in prison. Now she has life in prison she won't be put to death though so she did file an appeal in 2020 but thankfully it was denied she is still basically from all accounts a horrible person in in jail she is still flirting with guards and you know getting special attention from that and sometimes her mom will come all the way from california because she's in arizona to see her and she'll refuse because she has some other guy there visiting her that she wants to see. So she's got a fan club or a fan base of men that are obsessed with her kink yeah. or yeah, she, her look. She even ended up, she was dating this really rich guy for a while. They talked about getting married so they could petition for visitation, but yeah, that didn't end up happening. So, you know. Do they... Do they want to die? Do they want to die? Well, and that's true. Like, I really, we talked about this with Betty Broderick. Like, I really think that Betty needs to let it go. We talked about that. But I think if you let her out, she she wouldn't do this again. I 100% think if Jody had gotten away with this, she would have continued murdering. Like, I really 100% believe that. Yeah, she's a, I feel like a different level of crazy diabolical and I, I don't know like I don't know what's driven her to that but I agree with you I feel like she would totally be a repeat offender if she was found not guilty I think what annoys me is that she's like just really living life to the fullest that she possibly can there she actually to make extra money she started tattooing 
And so I found this inside edition interview with her cellmates and they were saying how she, so she, this woman had tattoos from all over on her and she said she regretted all of them, especially the one that said Jody Arias on it. Wait, another person got Jody Arias tattooed on them? Another female inmate? Yeah, I don't even know if she knew she was doing it. Like she, but yeah, Jody put Jody's name. Uh-huh. I don't understand. Yeah. Why? Why? So I'm gonna leave you with this one last thing, just to make you a little more mad. She started painting in jail, and she started selling her paintings in jail. For example, she recently sold a Grace Kelly portrait that she painted for over $3,000. She is one of the wealthiest murderers, criminals that's locked up right now. And her total net worth is estimated at between $1 million to $5 million. I mean, do what? And she's behind bars. And she's behind bars. She was selling them on Etsy and or Etsy. She probably is selling them on Etsy. She was selling them on eBay and then she got shut off of eBay. So then other people started selling them for her. They've set she has a whole website. They set her website up. They explain to you how you can write to her and all the rules for writing to someone in jail. Don't use glittery ink, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm really curious to know your opinion. And then I'll leave it there. What do you think? Do you think that inmates should have access to things like that where they can monetize off of their crimes? Do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? Because, I mean, we are lovers of true crime. I mean, I can't say I haven't like been interested in buying something or whatever that has just been completely off the wall. But how do you feel about convicts or inmates like this monetizing off of their crimes using their crime as some type of fame really and and able to increase their monetary whatever because of it i want to say it's disgusting and we need to put a stop to it morally it's wrong but then like i'm the person who's like so i'm going to tennessee so that i can go to this (laughs) murder museum i've been to both death museums i feel like i should judge but i can't someone else should judge for me (laughs) you can do it Kristen. you judge for me no i am not here to judge i just wanted your opinion i i mean i honestly i i don't know i i feel like i don't i can't even say depending on the crime but i don't know this was great i i am i think this this lady was a piece of, she's a turd for sure. I, I mean, I knew I was going to hate her, but I thought this was going to be more of like a toxic love story where we were going to go back and forth. But like the whole time I was like, you're a lying little, <laughs> like I, I'm not a Jodi Aries fan. I, I second that. One last thing. So I did find this clip, like almost right before we came on, she actually shot a, like a video in jail where she was trying to interview for American Idol. So She's still singing. She never stops. Last question. Okay, last question, then we'll go. How did she sound? Is there talent there, or is it? Is she just blowing smoke? I mean, she's better than me, but I wouldn't. There's a reason she doesn't have a record deal, right? There's a reason she's painting and not singing. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, thank you, Ashley. Well, thank you. And I hope everybody enjoyed and please rate and review us. We love you guys, but it would really help us and help us get the name out there. So thanks again. Continue to support. Thanks guys. <laughs> Bye.